Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business. I'm Aliyah. And I'm Curtis. And today we are here with Nick Teeter, the general manager at Frontiers North America. Thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Really appreciate you offering to give us some insight today. Thank you both for having me. So just to start things off, would you mind giving us a little summary of your role and what you are responsible for um, at Frontiers? So with Frontiers, uh, they are a company that started in 1996 and um, is based in Naples, Italy. And uh, over the course of the past uh, now 27 years, they've expanded into more of a global company. And uh, around 2011, I was put in touch with them. Uh, They needed a marketing manager for the U.S. market uh, because they were signing a lot of U.S.-based bands and they wanted a point of contact there for uh, those artists to work with directly. And that was me. And then uh, around 2017, uh, I I took on a larger role with the company and became the the general manager for North America for the label. So I have my um, tentacles covering a lot of things in in that role. So um, I'm overseeing the marketing for the market. Uh, I'm overseeing the sales for the market. Uh, I deal with the label's uh, social media, uh, their advertising all sorts of uh, different things. And, you know, while I am based in the U.S. and largely dealing with things here, everything's so global these days that, you know, I'm working constantly closely with the the team in um, Italy on, you know, broader things. You, you know, marketing is um, can be oftentimes a global thing. It can be isolated to just a few specific countries, only one country. So everyone's you know, coordinated and staying on the same page about what our goals are, depending on uh, the artist. So you, you, you mentioned um, the global nature of the industry now, um, but do you find that like there are certain, I mean, I think this is something we all recognize, but to what degree are certain genres only popular in Europe, only popular in the United States of America? How, how large is that divide? Well, I think it would be hard to give uh, quantifiable numbers, at least from from my perspective, about that. I mean, you can look at something uh, like you could say hard rock is popular and largely in the English speaking territories. But then again, we have a band from India called Goresh and the Chronicles, who are very much a hard rock band, and they're they're playing in nice sized. Uh, venues, playing festivals there in India. So I think um, until you've actually been to a market and you can see with your, you know, maybe you don't have to physically go there, but really have an understanding and education, it's hard to say, well, oh, this only works here. 
because you don't know. There could be a whole culture existing that you are just completely ignorant of. So um, I, I think that uh, one thing I've learned over my years in the business is that rock music and metal music has a lot of reach globally. Um, there might be markets where um, certain bands are just generally bigger, but you know, I mean, you look at a band like Metallica, for example. I think they could probably go anywhere and have an audience to play to, a, a nice size audience to play to. So, you know, maybe we'll see things. Uh, for example, symphonic metal. I would say, from my perspective, that's probably more popular in Europe. But it's not that it's unpopular in North America. It's just not on the same scale that it is. Uh, I think we can agree that symphonic metal was basically birthed out of the European scene. So it that's yeah, sure. more kind of what I mean. You know, uh, I think any type of music can have its niche in any any country. And then the, the scale of that just sort of depends on the interest of the audience, ultimately. What do you think is biggest in uh, North America for Frontiers? Because you guys got a pretty diverse roster to say the least um i would say you know certainly the hard rock stuff obviously the label made its reputation uh on signing white snake la guns winger and working with those 80s hard rock bands um the that's shifting a bit um we're still gonna obviously we announced a la guns album today uh, that we worked with Striper, uh, just released their new album just a few months ago. Those bands are still going to be part of what the label does, as long as those bands want to keep writing and creating music, which, you know, as a fan, I hope goes on for quite a long time. But there's a concerted effort to start signing younger bands, uh, because I think we can all see that uh, – the next generation needs to start coming into play. Uh, you, you've obviously had some bands reach arena level status, uh, like a, a Slipknot or a Lamb of God or these types of bands who are awesome. Um, but they're already, you know, two decades old at this point. So you need that next generation to come up. Um, and I think well, that's what we're trying to do is sign. We're not really being genre specific. It's more of a broad hard rock and metal kind of vibe we're looking for. You know, Goresh and the Chronicles, who I already mentioned, is, is a great example of that. A band like Electric Mob from Brazil is a great example of that. Uh, the, uh, we have um, a, a new band called Storm Warning from uh, the singers from Argentina. And the, the band and his production team are from Brazil. So there, there's stuff coming from literally anywhere in the world nowadays it used to feel like uh you know i'm going to date myself here but uh when i was a teenager if if a band like loudness came out they seemed so exotic because they were from japan to us you know american kids but now it's it that's that's not so much the case anymore because the the way um technology works and the reach a band can have outside of their home country is really you don't say like, well, they're not from this place. So I'm a little worried about this. No, you just say, it sounds great. We can, we can find a way to reach people. So considering the 
digital revolution and the fact that bands can release their music now completely independently, um, what would you say is the role of a record label now versus and now and in the future versus in the past? That's a really good question. I think this has become a popular question over the past uh, at least decade, if if not a little longer. Um, what what we have here, and I I think if independent labels and major labels are two entirely different things. Um, so yeah, having never, wanna... yeah. So having never been in the major label world um, as an employee in my life, but having worked with them from a management side, um, I, I think their benefit is in their um, their po- pocketbook or checkbook, however you want to say it. Um, their ability, to, their their ownership of uh, I don't mean literal ownership, but their ability to really reach um, radio, uh, especially in the U.S. market. That's more of a U.S. market specific thing. They have that those kind of tentacles, right? Um, then you look at, you say, an uh, independent label, and I think the benefit there comes in more of the tastemaker gatekeeping kind of thing. Um, yes, anyone can upload their music. Anyone can distribute it. If you look at the bands who are actually able to be completely self-sufficient independently, it's, they're the exception to the rule, not the norm. Um, because it is so difficult to figure out how to navigate all these things, um, figuring out the digital distribution. Yes, which you can go to certain services and, and, and do that relatively easily. But then how do you finagle your way into the playlist pitching? How do you do this? How do you do that? And then fans are sitting there. Um, I'm sure if you go on your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed or your TikTok feed, the, the, the ads you're getting hammered with are, are it's a fire hose, right? It's so, unreal right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can't sit there and say, well, I'll just release the music independently. I'm really good at Facebook ads and off I go. It, it, it's it, it's going to be tough. So I think the the independent labels serve uh, a purpose by having their branding. And they can say, the fans can say, well, if they're on that label, it's likely going to be in this general realm of a style, probably something I should check out. Right. Um, it's going to be, be certain, a certain level of quality already, right? Yeah. And then you're hiring, basically, in a sense, you're, when you sign with the label, you're hiring a marketing team to front you a marketing budget and then to do the actual physical work for you. I mean, the, the difference nowadays is uh, the artist has to do a lot more work than they used to in terms of, you know, I'm always writing people, hey, can you record yourself doing a guitar solo? Hey, can you record yourself doing this? Hey, can you record yourself doing that? Hey, why isn't your Facebook or your Instagram or your whatever updated enough? Like there's a lot of hard work that the artist has to do um, and they're going to have to do that signed to a label or independently. There's really no way to decrease that kind of work happening. So I think basically signing with a label is, is working with a company that can help you get out there more. And then, Hey, if, if you do four, albums with a label and you've really reached a certain point in your career where you feel like hey i could step back and do it myself then hey then you can go ahead and do that but 
I think the labels really help you stay uh, out of this, the general, you know, waterfall that's pouring on fans constantly helps you get differentiated a little bit. But that being said too, the labels have the same problem because we're just part of that same stream. So we're having the same difficulties cutting through the clutter as everyone else. But, um, you know, we have a little bit of tools to our advantage, of course. I had a quick question just about the social media angle of things. Um, how yeah. do you kind of get the older bands, like the LA Guns type of people, George Lynch's type thing to do their social media? Like the one that seems to be good at it is Michael Sweet, obviously. Like he's always... It, amazing. Yeah, he's great. He can get himself in the news just like that. I don't know how the fuck <laughs> he does it, but he's amazing. <laughs> but how do you kind of get the other guys to participate and see the value of social media? Well, everybody's different you know uh, uh michael is amazing he's just he, he, i think he enjoys it um and he's he just to. on there he, yeah i mean well with the volume he does of posting and everything he clearly enjoys it otherwise he, he wouldn't be doing it so that's just his personality and his work ethic and i think he's i think he's doing it because he enjoys it rather than oh this is a task i have to accomplish but when we're working on something with michael we're, there's no stress about the social media promotion from the artist because we know Michael's going to do his thing. A guy like Tracy Guns is actually really active on his social media too. And he's putting up cool stuff like guitar solos and things people really want to see out of him. He's, he's, he's tuned into that. Um, some other artists are, uh, I don't know, we hired somebody, they're handling it. <laughs> and that's fine too, because I'd rather... I'd rather it be authentic than forced. So I think if you're trying to tell a band, oh, you have to do this, and they're trying to do it and they're hating it, that really kind of comes across. So it's kind of a better scenario if they say, we hate it, we need to get somebody to do it for us. That's just a better scenario. And every band is different too. So some bands you'll see the person handling their social media will, will say blatantly, I am not the band. Just I communicate on behalf of the band. And then other people will pretend to be the band and give that perception that it's the band talking. Um, either way works. It just kind of depends on the fan base and what they respond to. But, uh, you know, at this point, to, to answer your question, you, it, you don't really run into anyone anymore who doesn't get that it's important. It's just um, whether they can commit to doing it themselves or not. But I think at this point... Everybody gets, you have to have at least one platform that you're on for people to engage with. And, and if staying off it completely is, would put you in and, and, and continuing to get messaging out to your fans, you would be in very rarefied air at this point. Well, one more question I just had on the social media is how is it different than marketing a band from the eighties on social media versus a newer one like seven spires? And because a lot of the fan base isn't going to be on Instagram, I would imagine, for like an 80s band, probably more like Facebook. Like, what's the strategy you guys use if there is one? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you kind of said it right there. If it's an, a band with an older fan base, uh, Facebook, I think, has officially become the old people's platform <laughs> at this yep. point. So yeah, that's... You. <laughs> we're all so on it. Hang, yep, we're all on it. So... Uh, you, you for you know advertising at LA Guns is Striper Winger Mr Big Warrant whomever like hey Facebook's going to be a go to place for us um, 
you know, Instagram's going to be more your younger artists or more visually oriented. They're wanting to do everything video wise. Uh, then you have to, uh, you know, Adrian from Seven Spires is on Twitch. Uh, we have another band called False Memories, who's um, like symphonic, gothic metal. They're doing a lot on Twitch because they're that age. That's where they want to be. They're enjoying playing the games. So you got to say, okay, well, we've got to kind of cater to that because that's where they're communicating with people. Um, and I, I think when TikTok was first emerging, people said, oh, that's the teenager platform. But what happens is exactly what happened with Facebook was all the teenagers are on there and then all their parents came over there and then they all left and went and found something new. But TikTok's definitely got an older audience existing on there. So you're having to find ways to... Well, how can we incorporate into what people are watching on TikTok to promote our product in a in a way that doesn't feel um, like crowbarred in, uh, kind of like you do on, on Facebook? It's a little more blatant that you're advertising. TikTok has to be a little more subtle. So you, you basically look at the nature of the artist, and then you're you're saying, okay, if the artist is fan base is presumably this, then we have to be on this platform more. That there uh, there's something different, then we have to go over here. So it's really on, you know, a case-by-case -case basis w with the artist and who their target audience is or, and who their existing audience is. But everybody's on YouTube. So, you know, that's a real big one too, of course. True, true. Um, so when, it, so let's say a band is thinking about looking for a label yep. um, and they want to pitch to Frontiers. What kind of statistics or metrics are you guys looking at before like in order to determine whether it's a band that you want to um, support or bring on to your label i i think you know we we definitely are like everyone we look at the metrics how much how, what are their social media numbers do they have any music released and therefore what are the numbers on spotify do they have music on youtube what do those numbers look like we go and look at all that stuff and we have signed bands who have literally nothing going on and just said, you know what? This is so good. We'll just get in on the ground floor with them and see where it goes. Um, other times it could, could be the music's, the music's uh, doesn't feel like it's quite there yet. The numbers quite aren't there yet. You know, maybe we won't just, maybe we just won't go with this. So, um, we do look at those metrics, but they're not necessarily the ultimate deciding factor. I think the narrative in the industry now is that the major labels really like to see something that's got enough of a swell that they can just pluck it and pour gasoline on it and blow it up. Um, you'd have to ask an a person at a major label if that's 100% true, but that just generally seems to be the perception. Um, with indies, I don't know, just labels I follow as a music fan, I see them, oh, we signed this new band, it's going to be awesome. And then I just, as the nature of my mind working, I go into that industry mode and I go and look the band up and they just don't have a lot going on at all. And that just tells me the label heard the music and said, you know what, we're in. Let's figure it out together. And this kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier about independent labels and they're, they're having a branding of their own and an audience of their own because the label's going to say, well, this band has no audience, but if we sign them, we have a certain amount of people we can speak to that we think would like this and just help them kind of get jump started here with, with their, with their, uh, you know, with their first release and career and all that kind of stuff. 
So to answer your question, we look at all the metrics. They don't necessarily spell. Doom. They don't dictate it. They're not the <laughs> yeah. be all end all. Yeah, exactly. Because everybody's got to. Everybody starts at zero, right? So you sure, can't yeah. hold that. You can't hold that against everybody. Sure, but I mean, like a lot of labels will say they want to see bands putting in the work before yeah. they even uh, will sign them. Is there any any level of that? Like you want to make sure that they have the good work ethic before you sign the band, or or what have you? Sh- Sure. Like you want to understand, um, you know, what are your, what are your ambitions? Uh, what, what do you see out of this? Um, do you feel like you could spend, uh, 10 years of your life dedicated to breaking your body for this kind of thing? Because that's when you're a young band, it, it's it, like, look at seven spires. I'm exhausted looking at their touring schedule because I can't imagine having to go through that. It's but crazy. Yeah, but I'm excited that I get to see them twice within like I saw them last year on tour with Dragon Force and I'm seeing them in March also. But that's crazy. That's fantastic that you get to see them twice in such a short period of time. I mean, they're they're a, a, a great band and they put in the time. You know, they did their independent release. We signed them. Uh, they, they, they've done two albums so far with us. They're working on another one. But they've gotten the opportunities because that band has a very specific hard work ethic. They said, we're, we're dedicated to making this, this work. They're putting in the time. They're putting in the effort. Uh, Peter, the bass player, manages the band. Uh, and he's a very organized, thorough guy, which is a huge help. And like Every band needs one member who is that person who's, who's going to herd the cats when needed. Um, I mean, it's, if you have uh, an entire band comprised of People who are like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, not much is going to happen for you. You need one person who's going to be a whip cracker and make sure that all these things are, you know, that need to be getting done or getting done. Um, but yeah, work, understanding that the band has a work ethic, is really to do in the work, willing to do the work, has a vision. Like, hey, this is where we are now, but maybe we see ourselves musically evolving into this. You know, there's just, like some and, and plans can change and nobody has to be held to them, of course. But just knowing that an artist is thinking into the future uh, is, is important to know because some people are like, oh, I don't know. I just want to, you know, jam and do this. It's like, well, like that's not, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe like what do you need a record label for if you just want to kind of ha- hang out and do it? You can just go ahead and do that. But if you're looking to genuinely take a leap of faith and try to make a career out of it, there has to be a, a real serious, wide-eyed understanding of the rate of failure and if you're willing to stare that down. I have a quick question I just wanted to jump in on. So, like, let's say that you guys have the opportunity to, like, I realize you're not doing all the signings, obviously, but... Yeah. Like let's let's say you guys have the opportunity to sign like an old school band versus a new school band, but you can only fit one in the schedule. How do you kind of determine which one you would go for? If that makes sense. Well, um, I, I think it, it, there's a lot of factors that could go into it. Of um, course, because you, you know there's uh, if if you're looking at the old school band and you're, and you're like, okay, they're basically, this is going to happen. They're going to tour 
uh, we've done the, the research on, you know, sales and streaming figures. This is kind of sort of a, we look at that and they want this much and we give them that much and we'll, uh, we can do a and l we'll make this much. That, that, that short-term reward uh, is just tempting, extremely tempting. Uh, whereas you're looking at something that's, well, we're going to have to do this. We'll probably lose money on the first two or three albums. Uh, you know, we don't know if it will take or not. They don't have a booking agent. There's just a lot of, it's it's basically um, uh, a soft landing versus a potential crash landing. You know, and, and I think a lot of the time you're going to say, well, maybe we feel more comfortable with this more, uh, uh, nothing's guaranteed, of course, but uh, something that feels like more of a guaranteed outcome versus something that feels like a risk. But mercifully, we're never really in that either or situation. We usually just say yes to both. And one other question just about this is um, like a band like LA Guns or Striper or whatever. I mean, they already got a built-in fan base. They already got the built-in name. Um, do they still sell a lot of physical product or is it mainly streaming nowadays out of curiosity? Because I, I would think it would be more physical. Am I wrong in thinking that? Well, the physical, the, the amount of physical sales, like everything's to scale now. Of course. So if I if I told you their physical sales number compared to the height of their popularity, it'd be like, wow, that's yeah. terrible. Of course. You know, yeah. uh, but but to scale, it's totally fine. So I think, um, again, we go back to those bands, kind of an older fan base. Um, and, you know, maybe they're running out of room to collect everything. Or sure. they just got tired ty- of their their you know spouse told them to, that the CDs had to go or whatever, and they're like, oh, I'm moving to streaming. Or they they moved a couple times. They got sick of moving the product. You know, mm-hmm. any any number of things. Um, so they they the those um, those uh, heritage acts have you know okay, we're going to sell X amount of physical copies, which has been shrink that amount. Your uh, forecasting has been shrinking as the years go on, because everybody's just suddenly, not everybody, there are exceptions to the rule, of course, but most people are just shrinking in their sales, but you still get a nice little chunk of sales. And as a label, um, we are actively trying to encourage people to stream. Uh, I I think people who are my age are like, oh, I've heard that Spotify, this, and you know, there's all those narratives out there about the accounting with the streaming services. And they think they're, you know, they basically think it's some sort of con job or ripoff. And that's a subject matter that is totally open for debate. And I'm not saying either way, but I am saying that the genie is out of the bottle. These streaming services exist. They're not going anywhere. At this point in time, it's hard to imagine what exactly would replace them. But how many times have we said that over the past two decades in the music industry? And sure enough, the next thing came along. So. For now, they are the thing. Uh, I think that if you're a person who still likes buying physical product um, and you see vinyls get more expensive because of all the manufacturing woes and labels are producing less CDs because of less demand, so maybe they're a little harder to find all these things. Listen, use a streaming service to preview what you want to spend your money on. I mean, uh, think of it as a listening station at a record store, but it's on your laptop. 
just okay oh i don't know i heard two songs on youtube i don't want to spend my money on the album go listen to the entire album and make up your mind for yourself and then go to your local record store and pick it up or or buy it from the artist or do whatever but i think if you're a uh, older music fan who kind of it doesn't hates the streaming services because of all this literature you've read on on the internet then at least find a way to use it in a way that is practical for you and i think that the listening station analogy i just made is useful but we're actively trying to tell people there no offense taken by us and no offense taken by the artist if you go stream an album on any of the major streaming services or you're listening to it, I mean, we, we'll put entire album streams up on YouTube. I, I, for me, as a marketer, it's not about getting somebody to take out their wallet and give cash to the artist or the label. For me, we're talking about, we're battling for people's time. You guys are busy. I'm busy. It, it, I, I find it so hard just to sit down and listen to an album. That's why I'm mostly listening to punk and hardcore lately. Cause I need 20 minute albums because <laughs> I, I I'm still the person who likes to listen to albums. I just need them to be shorter because I'm so pressed for time all the time. But that's, that's what you're battling for people. Like they're, you're competing with all the television on Netflix and Hulu and all this stuff. You, you, people have, they have their kids. They have, if they don't have kids, they have a, any number of activities going on. You're asking people for their time. And I think when you're asking people for their time, you need to be very respectful of the fact that you're asking for it. So what we're trying to do is just say, hey, if you've got three to five minutes to check this out, whether it be on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, we'd really appreciate it. Let us know how you like it. If you do like it, there's more music. Here's a CD. Here's an LP. You could get the artist is going on tour. Go see them. No, but that first entry point is just respectfully asking for a few minutes of someone's time to give something a try. And that's why I think it's important to, uh, to try to get, um, you know, when we're talking about the LA guns and the stripers and the wingers to get their fan base, to understand that it's okay to stream an album. If you can't spend the money on a CD right now, or you, you just don't have time to go to the record store to buy it or do whatever. It's okay. Watch the video. Stream the single on Spotify. No harm, no foul. No one's going to get upset. It helps. It all helps in the long run. I really think that that perspective is so positive, like such a beneficial perspective. We're in an economy of time nowadays. There's so much mm -hmm. stimulus and you really want to meet people where they're at. So all these musicians, they may not want to be on TikTok. They may not want to be doing this content on other platforms, but it's so beneficial and it is respectful, like you said, to just meet people where they're at and ask for their time. So I, I just really appreciate that per, that perspective. Um, yeah, I think the most important thing, if you're uh, a label or an artist working independently or whatever, and, and you're thinking about the marketing, don't get hung up and and like, oh, we've got to achieve this amount of streams or this amount of sales or do, don't get hung up on that part. Try to remember what it's like to be a consumer yourself, what your habits are, what you like, what you don't like. Um, for me personally, I go to the record store and flip through the bins and buy the records. I, I order from uh, band websites. I order from label websites. I order from Amazon. I go to the shows and buy the numbered, you know, limited edition poster 
and lived through the experience of, please, God, don't let a beer get spilled on this, <laughs> you know, for <laughs> the four hours while you're trying to protect it. Right? If you're going to be um, a person who can really get good at marketing, I think it's important to live as a consumer and not get used to the perks of being on one side of the fence. You have to live on the other side with everybody else. Under like understand the stress that goes into hopping onto Ticketmaster to try to buy a ticket for a show that you know is going to sell out, and you're really stressed about like what's the price going to be? Am I going to get? I, I just went through this with Metallica a few months ago. Totally one of my favorite bands of all time. Totally stressed out about the process of getting tickets for the show I wanted to go to. But it's important to know what that. You know, have that like, you know, butterflies in your stomach feels like as a fan and, and live through these processes, because it, when you're doing that, then you're understanding how to talk to people on their level. And that's that's really what it boils down to. Not, you know, sure, there's there's gimmicks you can pull off and, and stuff like that, that are, that are a lot of fun, especially when they work. But for the most part, you, you really just kind of want to understand that, you know, music is largely an emotional thing for people. And get on that level with them and understand how to talk to them about it, like like a fan from one fan to another. And that's really what it's got to be about. Awesome. So for one final topic, I guess, could you give us a tip or two that you would advise for younger bands who um, want it, what their, their next step is uh, shopping to a label? Uh, what tips do you have for them? Well, the, the number one thing, and this is obvious, and I don't think I'll even count this as one of the tips, is that's fair, fair. <laughs> have have great songs. Um, that, that's that's oh, what yes. it, it, I, I used to work for a guy who had a sign on, up in the office that said, it's about the music, dummy, you know, and that's, yeah. that's really what it's about. So uh, obviously, when you feel like you have the songs, um, the first tip is um, don't be scared of, upset by or worried about rejection. It's gonna be inevitable. You're gonna hear you suck. You're gonna hear you're not ready. You're gonna hear this, that, and the other thing. It's normal, it's part of the process. Um, hopefully some of the criticism is constructive that you can take back and, and put it to use. But uh, you know, if you don't get that, it's okay. I've seen bands react really poorly to being told nicely that, hey, you know, they this isn't a good fit for what we're doing. What? But we sound just like this band. And and don't do that. Don't say you sound just like another band because that's not necessarily what, what a label wants to hear. Um, they may, If they draw that conclusion on their own, that's fine. But uh, don't don't be offended. A no is a no. Just to say, okay, thank you for the feedback. Hey, um, you know, in a year's time, we might have some new songs. I would love to circle back. You know, kind of try to leave the door open. Most people at labels are going to be super nice about that because they're thinking the same thing. What if this guy goes and writes, Van, uh, you know, the second coming of Van Halen 1 in the two years I don't speak to him? I want him to remember me as a, a relatively nice person, you know, so that they might circle back to me. So that's the main thing, just, you know, to do, to not get upset, be kind to people and keep the door open. Uh, the second thing would be to really show that you're a self-starting kind of band. Make sure your your socials look nice. They're showing a lot of activity. Try to show that you're out there playing gigs. And listen, if you're only doing six gigs a year, 
that's okay. But you can make it look like a lot more than it is because perception's reality, right? So if you're putting up flyers about gigs all the time and just making it seem like it's a big deal and then you're collecting a bunch of footage from those gigs and putting it up, it just looks like there's a lot of activity. That's really important to do. But be be but if you're a band trying to get on a label, you're going to need to know how to do that stuff anyway while you're waiting to get on a label. You're going to need to know how to book the shows and have your upkeep of your social media. But when a label looks and it's like, wow, these guys are really putting in the time or effort, that's a, that's a positive right off the bat. So I think you it's it's about presentation. You know, it's almost like uh, if you're a band, you're it's like you're on a dating app almost. You know, and you want to have the nice nicest pictures and all these kind of things, and and, and for the for the labels to see. Um, you know, don't have junky looking you know website. Don't have a junky looking social media. Um, if you're doing artwork, make it look cool. Have have it. It doesn't have to be necessarily pristine i've seen bands who are just like you look at punk bands who do things where their artwork is scratched stick figures but it's their aesthetic it's their thing um and that works for them so just you know have have a great presentation but don't get too hung up on what's perfect because uh, as they they say perfect can be the enemy of good excellent thank you so so much again for coming on the podcast this was great i learned a lot um and everyone listening, I hope you learned a lot too. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.